Turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. This is where we left off several months ago when we were studying the gospel of Luke together. And we pick up here at this halfway point with an extremely serious passage of Scripture. It's a Scripture that gives us insights into God's dealings with peoples, nations, men, and the New Covenant. It's a Scripture that reminds us of one of the very core, basic tenets of what it means to be a Christian. And that's repentance. And, and I had this all put together this morning as I began to reflect over it and look over it. Uh, earlier this morning I realized that I had too much information, which Brooke already told me that this week when she was putting it in a PowerPoint. She's bringing a sack lunch. Uh, I had too much information, but I also had not enough information. And there's the problem. I had too much information to cover, to make sense of the passage and to give you all the applications and, and not enough information to lay the foundation of what Jesus is even talking about here. So we're just going to kind of start out looking at this passage of Scripture and we will probably save uh, the application for next week. And we'll just kind of wrap it up quick and abruptly and awkwardly at the end in some ways and then pick up next week. So uh, I really think it's important for us to see what the point of this interaction is because it really gives us a snapshot of history and also a glimpse into the future. So uh, if you're running the slides up there, just try to keep up best you can and just know that you'll have a lot left over and we'll use those next week. Now let's just look at it together. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. We'll read down through verse number 9. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that Those 18, on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I'll tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us to hear your still, small voice. We ask you to give us eyes to see the truth of your Scripture and how it affects us today and applies to us today and how we play into it today. We pray that you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts 
to believe and wills to respond. We ask you, Spirit, to speak, to speak through me in spite of me, with power, with anointing, with unction, and that you would bring forth the fruit that you choose to bring forth as we look at this scripture together. And we'll be sure that you are glorified for it in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 13. Let's go back to verse 1. Let's walk our way through the passage of Scripture and get the point of the, of the interaction that is taking place right there in Luke chapter 13. We'll see some application very quickly, but next week we'll come back and see what does this have to do with us? How do we respond to this in a more detailed manner next week? Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. On the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So Jesus is teaching, Jesus is there, and he's approachable. And people come up to him like, hey, did you hear what Pilate did? Did you hear about the Galileans? They, they went in and they, and they offered their sacrifice, and Pilate just massacred them there. Wow, I wonder what they did to deserve that. I mean, they must have been really bad, Jesus. They must have been really bad to be killed by a Gentile pagan in your presence at your altar as they're giving you a sacrifice. They must have done something really, really wicked. And we are exactly the same way. We, you know, we pretend like we're holier than thou. But if something tragic happens, something unfortunate happens, in the life of someone we know, we immediately think, what did they do wrong? Or if they would have only just done this, then they could have avoided that. If they'd have only just done this, they probably would have ended up in better shape. We're really quick to assume that everything that happens, we bring upon ourselves. Some things we do, but some things just happen. And they come and they, they say, Clearly, these people must be some very serious sinners, Jesus, for Pilate to mingle their blood with their own sacrifices. But Jesus responds in verse 2 to them by saying, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? Now, I want you to pay very careful attention to this. Do not miss this truth. The unusual thing here is not the fate of the sinners that were murdered by Pilate. That's not unusual for sinners to die. The wages of sin is what? Death. The unusual thing is not that these sinners were murdered by Pilate. The unusual thing is that these, that these sinners in Jesus' presence, in presence were, were still being shown mercy. The unusual thing is that these sinners in Jesus' presence were still being shown grace. They were still being shown patience. It's not a remarkable thing when sinners die. It's a remarkable thing when sinners are given another breath. Because God does not, is not, He is not required to give a lost sinner another breath. And he is absolutely, completely, thoroughly just if he were to strike 
every lost sinner dead right this moment. It's not unusual that sinners die in tragic ways, in unbelievable ways. It's amazing that sinners are allowed to live. Do you suppose these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered this fate? I tell you, verse 3, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Not likewise perish at the sword of Pilate, necessarily. Worse than that, you will likewise perish at the sword of God. Who, who are you guys more afraid of here? You, are you more afraid of Pilate or are you more afraid of God? Are you, are you afraid of the one who can take your life, but not afraid of the one who has the power to cast your, your soul into hell? He had just covered that with him before he comes to this place in Scripture. And just to, be under, just to be certain that they understand, he, he gives them another illustration. He brings up another situation in verse number 4. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I'm sure that had made headlines. I'm sure that had been the talk in the beauty shop. I'm sure that had been the talk in the barber shop. It had been the talk at Hardy's, you know. Man, did you hear about those 18 guys who were building that tower in Siloam? It fell on them and killed them. I wonder what they did. Crooked business. Fill in the blank. But Jesus again says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Jesus drives home this warning in a parable. Verse number six, he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. Now let's just stop there, pause, time out, and think about what Jesus has just done. Jesus is the master storyteller, and he, and he puts these subtle points in his stories that should catch our attention, but because we're not first century Jews who live in the midst of vineyards and olive trees and fig trees, we miss some things here. Let's look at it again. Jesus tells this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. Here, here's the subtle thing that Jesus does here. Jesus talks about a fig tree that's planted in a vineyard. A vineyard is not a place for fig trees. A vineyard is a place for vines. A vineyard is a place for, for grape vines. And it's, it was a common place in Jewish history for people to plant vineyards and to, to squeeze the juice of these grapes and to make the wine that was used in first century Israel. So here's a vineyard that is filled with vines. This is the, this is the money-making crop for the owner of the vineyard. He takes care of these vines. He makes sure these vines are irrigated. He makes sure these vines are fertilized. He makes sure that these vines are cared for, mulched, that the weeds don't take over. He makes sure that these vines are pruned. He makes sure that these vines are trained. This is his 
livelihood. And we have this vineyard that is well taken care of, is so well taken care of that we find in just a couple of verses that, that there's not only an owner of the vineyard, but there is a vineyard keeper, a keeper of the vineyard. There's a, there's a guy that's paid to take care of these vines. He's a professional vine keeper. And he's paid to do this. And this owner of the vineyard, this irrigated, fertilized, weeded, mulched, pruned, cared for vineyard, decides that he's going to plant a fig tree in the vineyard. Now, if you're a fig tree that springs up on the side of the road, which fig trees sometimes did in Jesus' day, as we'll find out in just a moment, if you're a fig tree that springs up on the side of the road, that's one thing. But if you're a fig tree that has been taken into the midst of a vineyard, this is like a greenhouse fig tree, okay? This fig tree is planted where it's going to be looked after day in and day out. Week after week, month after month, year after year, it's going to catch the water that's used to irrigate the vines. It's going to catch the fertilizer that's used to fertilize the vines. It's going to benefit from the mulch that is used to mulch the vines. It's going to benefit from the keeper of the vineyard who walks by that fig tree every day, every week, every month, every year. This is a special fig tree. And in Scripture, very often, a fig tree is used to symbolize Israel. And we don't need to miss this because Jesus is talking to Jews here. And they come up and they're speaking about fellow Jews. These, these Galileans, they're murdered at the hands of Pilate. These other men from Jerusalem, are, they, they're, they're tragically killed in a crashing tower. Wonder how bad they had to be to suffer such an end. When we are the people of God. When we are the fig tree, so to speak, of God. Jesus reminds them, just because you're God's special people doesn't mean you're special. To the point that you don't need to repent of your sin and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So let me tell you a story about a fig tree. A fig tree that was planted in a vineyard. And was cared for very well. Fig trees often used to symbolize Israel. If you'll turn over, and this isn't on the screen because remember we shifted gears. Uh, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And look in verses 18 and 19. You'll see this symbolism yet again. Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. He's finally made it to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple he finds in the temple, in the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles can worship. Tables set up where money changers are exchanging money. Tables set up where people are selling pigeons and selling doves and selling lamb and selling things to sacrifice. And, and we want to talk about, well, you shouldn't sell things in the temple. That's not the point. That's not the point. People traveled from all over. Could you imagine trying to keep up with kids, much less add some animals to that, and you're traveling hundreds of miles to go worship at the temple, and then you get there and your money's no good because you're from somewhere else. No, no, you go and you exchanged money. You went and you purchased your sacrificial animal that you knew met the standard. It was absolutely normal to exchange money in a new place. It was normal to buy sacrificial animals. This isn't about buying or selling in the temple. This is about 
crowding the court of the Gentiles with all of your market so that there's no room for the Gentiles to worship. If you were a Jewish woman, you could get in. If you were a Jewish man, you could get in. If you were one of the priests, you could get in. Obviously, if you're the high priest, you could get in. But this outer court that is reserved for the worship of the nations, they can't get in there and worship because it's full of stuff. And Jesus has some righteous indignation, and he goes in and he starts throwing the tables over and running the animals, loose and scattering the chains. Wouldn't you love to have been there for that? And what does he say? He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for who? All nations. All nations. Then he leaves Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 21, and in verse 18 in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a lawn fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. We've got two in our yard like that for three years now that have had leaves only. And I'm telling you, about to get cut down. And he said to this fig tree, found leaves only, and he said to it, no longer... Cheryl, shall there ever be any fruit from you? And at once, the fig tree withered. And the disciples were like, wow, that's amazing. How did you do that? Jesus, Jesus goes back into Jerusalem, and he tells some parables that we're going to see in just a second. So just hang on to Matthew 21, stick something there. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. The point is... This is a picture, this is a symbol of what is happening to the fig tree Israel. Jesus, listen, God has stepped out of heaven and He has visited His people that have been specially planted by His own hand that have been the apple of His eye that He loves, that He's cared for, that He's sent prophets to, that He's given the commandments to, that He's given the law to, that He's given the sacrificial system to, that He's given everything to. He has given them everything, and He comes and visits, and He's looking, and He sees no fruit. It's no coincidence that he engages this fig tree after leaving Jerusalem, after having to ransack the temple, and before going back to Jerusalem where he encounters more of the same nonsense. It's just a picture of the fig tree, Israel, withering before his eyes. And in case, in case you just doubt, in case they're sitting there saying, well, surely he's not, surely he's not talking about us. He, he not only referenced a fig tree, but he referenced a vineyard. And Israel is not only often referred to as a fig tree or symbolized by a fig tree in the Bible, it is often symbolized by a vineyard. And maybe Jesus had in the back of his mind Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. This should be on the screen, so don't turn there. Just hang on to Matthew 21. Isaiah chapter 5. Let me sing now for my well-beloved. A song of my beloved... Concerning his what? Vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, planted it with the choicest vine, and he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. 
What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now, let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. Put that in the back of your mind. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. Put that in the back of your mind. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. There's no question in Isaiah chapter 5 that Israel is the vineyard. Back in Matthew chapter 21, after Jesus curses the fig tree, goes back to Jerusalem. He's encountered again by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the lawyers. He tells another parable in Matthew 21 and verse 33. Listen to this parable and see if you miss the message of Jesus or if you get the message of Jesus. And we're going to see how it lines up with what we saw in Luke 13. In Matthew 21 verse 33, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower. That is what we just read in Isaiah 5, is it not? Exactly. It's a quote from Isaiah chapter 5. And then he adds, and he rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come. Let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him in verse 41, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Put that in your file again. He's going to give them a wretched end and he's going to rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will give him the fruit, the proceeds at the proper seasons. And Jesus said to them in verse 42, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. So here's what I don't want you to miss now. These Jews come to Jesus, 
And they are amazed that Galileans have been murdered as they're offering sacrifices. They've been amazed in the past that these Jews were tragically killed by a tower that fell in Siloam. They're thinking in the back of their minds, they must have done something really naughty to deserve that. And Jesus reminds them, listen, all of you have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'm waiting on fruit from all of you. Specifically, I want to see repentance. Because except you repent, you're going to perish. And then he tells this parable. There's a fig tree, a special fig tree planted in a special vineyard. And the owner of the vineyard comes looking for fruit on this fig tree and he doesn't find any Look what happens in verse 7 of Luke chapter 13. Back in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 7. He said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? This, this special fig tree was unproductive. It did not bear fruit. But not only was it unproductive, it was counterproductive. Not only was it not bearing fruit, but it was taking up wasted space. Something else could be planted there. A vine could be planted there that would bring forth fruit. Why keep letting this thing waste room? So cut it down. Do you realize what the prophet, the first prophet after the great silence preached by the Jordan River before he baptized Jesus? In Matthew 3, 7 through 10, John the Baptist is out there by the Jordan preaching. And in Matthew 3, 7 through 10, he said, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit. And bear fruit in keeping with what? Repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourself, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. They were warned by John the Baptist earlier that God had already drawn His axe back and He's ready to lay it at the root of the trees. They've had opportunity to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and because they're not bearing fruit, don't fool yourself that you're Abraham's biological children. If you're not bearing fruit, you're coming down. And now Jesus comes and He says, Listen, there's a fig tree planted in a vineyard and it's been cared for specially, but it's not bringing forth fruit. And the owner of the vineyard said, cut the thing down. It's unproductive and it's counterproductive. And we can conclude from all this that the specific type of fruit he's looking for, and we know that there's the fruit of the Spirit. There's fruit of lost souls that have come to faith in Christ. There's the fruit of righteousness. And we can talk about all the different types of fruit, but based on this parable and based on this story and based on the scriptures we've seen surrounding it, we can conclude that the specific type of fruit he's looking for is the fruit of repentance. Repentance. And he's not seeing it. He's seeing pride. He's seeing ignorance. 
He's seeing apathy. He's seeing no shame. He's not finding repentance. And he's ready to cut the tree down. But look at what happens in verse 8. He answered, the, the, vine, the, the vine keeper answers. And he said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too. Until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. The end. It's like one of those movies that you're watching, and it just kind of ends without ending. You know, what was I just spent an hour and a half of my life watching this, and there's no ending? That's exactly where Jesus leaves the parable. The fig tree, the special fig tree in the special vineyard. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. And I'm here to fertilize, guys. I'm here to dig around. I'm here to water. I'm here to be a dam of mercy. Standing between you and the river, the raging, rising river of God's wrath and justice. What will happen? We aren't told here how the story ends, but we know how the story ends. God planted that special tree, that special vineyard. She had failed to bring forth suitable fruit. Israel is not bringing forth the fruit of repentance. The vine dresser comes. The vine keeper comes in the flesh to dig and fertilize and tenderly care for Israel to see if Israel will be fruitful and will respond. And yet Israel rejected and crucified the vine dresser. Crucified the sun outside of the city. And they said to themselves... Let His blood be on us and on our children. And in A.D. 70, the walls came crashing down just like Isaiah 5 prophesied. Jerusalem was trampled just like Isaiah 5 prophesied. The temple was destroyed and Israel was no more. In the words of the Apostle Paul, the olive branch was cut off. Listen to Romans chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes to see not and ears to hear not down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Is it not amazing that the Jewish people for 2,000 years have had Isaiah... The Old Testament Apostle Paul, Isaiah, in their scriptures, and they can read those scriptures and never see Jesus? How is that possible? How is it possible 
that they can read Genesis chapter 3 and hear the prophecy about the one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. He would bruise his heel, but he would crush his head and not think of Jesus. How is it that they can study Moses, the man meek and powerful and wise and humble and miraculous and not see Jesus? How is it that they can read the Psalms and hear all of the prophecies that point to Jesus? They can sing these Psalms Saturday after Saturday and not think of Jesus. How is it possible that they can read the Song of Solomon and not see that it's a love story between a bride and a groom, Jesus Christ and His church? How can they read the prophecies of the Old Testament, major prophets and minor prophets, and not see Jesus, how can they walk by the places that Jesus walked and not see Jesus without without God having blinded them? Oh, that's unjust. God, you are unjust. How could you blind them? Wait, 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 wait. remember? The amazing thing is not that some die or that some are blinded. The amazing thing is that some live another day under the grace of God and are able to see. Don't call God unjust. Listen, we've got a lot of cries for justice in our nation, and we don't have a clue about justice. We don't really want justice, because if we had justice, we'd be in a heap, heap, heap of trouble. Justice is everybody drops dead. That's justice. Everybody suffers. Everybody pays. We don't want justice. We want mercy. We want grace. We want forgiveness. The justice of God is not unusual. The grace of God is unusual. Let His blood be on us and on our children's. And they're blinded. Their eyes become dark and they bring forth no fruit of repentance. And let me just clarify, that doesn't mean that no Jewish person can be saved. Jewish people are actually coming to faith today at a faster rate than any other time in history. So we're not saying that Jewish people can't be saved. We're saying the Jewish people as a whole have been blinded. The sovereign God has blinded them, Romans eleven eight 8 through 10. The sovereign God has cut off the olive branch. The question we need to answer today as we see this parable unfold, as we see this interaction unfold in Luke chapter 13, is what does this mean for us, the church, the true Israel, the true spiritual children of Abraham made up of Jew and Gentile? What does it mean for us? And this is a big question because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. In Romans chapter 11, verses 17 to 22, we see. Now listen, listen carefully. Romans chapter 11, verse 17. This is not on the screen. We got off script again. Romans 11, verse 17. Listen to what Paul says. This is very sobering. We should pay very careful attention. Because next week we're going to see what the fruit of repentance looks like in our life. We're going to really flesh out the fruit of repentance. But right now, 
Romans eleven seventeen. But if some of the branches were broken off, now which branches were broken off? The olive branches, Israel, God's Jewish people, biologically Jewish people were cut off. And you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and become partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. Now Paul's there. What he's saying is God blinded the Jews as a whole. He cut them off as a whole. And he grafted the Gentiles into the olive tree. We are a wild olive shoot. We're not God's original chosen people, biological children of Abraham, people of Israel. But we, being the wild olive branch, have been grafted in. He's taken the vineyard away from those he originally gave it to, and he's given it to people who will bring forth fruit, who will bring forth the proceeds that he expects from the vineyard, the wild olive branch, the Gentiles. He grafts them in, and he says, Do not be arrogant, verse 18, toward the branches... Don't be arrogant. Don't look at the Jews and say, Ha! You, sh- you should have never crucified Jesus. There's no room for anti-Semitism. Yeah, that word. <laughs> should have written that down so I could read it. Anti-Semitic notions or feelings. There's no room for that. There's no room for arrogance. Do not be arrogant. But if you are arrogant, remember... That it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Listen, the only reason, the only reason we can live through the worship service this morning is because His mercy is more. The only reason we can breathe through a worship service it's because the root supports us, not because we're, oh God, aren't you proud of us? We came here today, there's a COVID pandemic going on, and we got out. Man, God is just amazed. No, we don't support God. He supports us. The root supports us. The truths that He gave to Israel support us. Remember that it's not you who support the root, the root supports you. You will say then, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. You think God planted this special fig tree in a special vineyard and took care of it this long and He cut it off and grafted you in and you think you're all that something that He won't cut you off? Gentile? You think you're that special Gentile that He won't cut you off? You're wild. You're a wild olive branch. Don't be conceited, but fear. For if He did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fail severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able 
to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into the own olive tree? Now here's a little picture that Jesus has given us, that Paul's given us. The Jews have been cut off, they've been blinded, they've stumbled. We as wild olive branches, the Gentiles have been grafted in. But don't get too big for your britches. Because there's coming a day in the future when we can be cut off and the Jews grafted right back in. What this says to me, what this says to me this morning is, there's an urgency. There's an urgency for the Gentiles. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I guess all of us in here are probably Gentiles. Listen, there's not red, yellow, black, or white. There's not this kind of person and that kind of person. There's Jew and there's Gentile. There's Jew and there's Gentile. We are one race, the human race. And there's Jews and there's Gentiles. So it doesn't matter what shade of melanin you may have this morning. You're a Gentile if you're not a Jew. And therefore, the time of the Gentiles is now. It's now. It's today. But we're not promised tomorrow. If he cut the Jews off, he can cut us off. We're not promised tomorrow. And there is an urgency. There's an urgency, number one, for you under the sound of my voice, you Gentiles under the sound of my voice, to bring forth the fruit of repentance. And that doesn't mean, well, I walked down an aisle one time. I took the pastor by the hand. I repeated a prayer for my heart of heart of hearts. I got baptized. I joined the church and I went on about my merry way. No. Did you know you can repeat a prayer and never repent? We'll find that out next week when we see what repentance really looks like. Did you know you can get baptized and never repent? You can join the church and never repent. You can preach and never repent. And you can go to hell because you never repented. Look, Jesus is looking for the fruit of repentance, a transformed life, a sorrow over sin, a shame over sin, a war with sin, a hatred for sin, a transformed life as we turn away from sin and the days are ticking away. The clock of history is ticking on us and today is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ came to this earth to live the life that God requires and demands of each and every one of us. He lived that perfect life in our place and he checked every box that needs to be checked to get you into eternity with God. He went to the cross and he paid for every sin you could have ever committed or that you are committing or that you ever will commit. And he paid for it in full, was buried in a barred tomb, rose from the dead on Sunday morning so that if you will turn away from your sin and repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can be transformed by his mercy. You can be transformed by his grace you can be made a new creation and you can bring forth the fruit of repentance but you're not promised tomorrow well i just need to get my life together you're never going to get your life together i just need to do better do as good as you want to do and you'll never be good enough today is the day of salvation and some of you have been sitting here and you've been hearing the gospel week after week, month after month, maybe even year after year and you know deep down that you have never truly been transformed and revolutionized by the power of the gospel and if you were to look at your life you would know that there is no fruit of repentance to be found if Jesus were to pass by your pew this morning and it is time for you to stop borrowing tomorrow when you're not promised tomorrow and right now, right now where you are.
turn from your sin, hate your sin, and run to the arms of Jesus Christ. You're a wild olive branch, and He can cut us off and do it justly. There's an urgency for you to believe. And listen, there's an urgency for us to get the gospel to the Gentiles. There are 3,000 plus unreached, unengaged people groups who don't have the gospel. They've not heard the gospel. They've not understood the gospel. And we've got to get the news to the people groups before it's too late, before we're cut off. In the words of Carl F.H. Henry, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And we've got to get it there. How on earth do you do that with times like these? How on earth do you do that when you can't get into a lot of countries? How on earth do you do that? Listen, did you know most of the world has better internet than I have in Normandy? I've been to third world countries where they don't even have indoor plumbing that's got better internet than I have in Normandy. And there are opportunities if we're just creative. And we've got to be creative and we've got to be proactive to get the gospel out. We can't wait. on. We've got to wait on the politicians to get their ducks in a row. I'm 44 years old. I've been waiting 44 years. I haven't got them in a row yet. They're not ever going to get them in a row. Vote them in, vote them out, flip them around, change them over. Give up. Give up and look to Jesus. You're going to wait on the CDC to get their act together. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask, stand six feet apart, hug your neck, have a chicken pox party, just get a vaccine. We don't know. We can't wait on them to get their act together. We can't wait on TSA to get their act together. We can't wait on the world to get their act together. We've got to look to God. We've got to look to the Spirit and say, how can we get the gospel to the ends of the earth today? And we can plan for the future and hope for the future. But we can't wait. There's an urgency. The clock is ticking. Jesus is looking for fruit. Is he going to find it? Now next week we're going to flesh out what true biblical repentance looks like. Because we want him to find that fruit in our life. But this morning, as we close our time together, I want you... To just ask yourself, if Jesus were to look at your life right now, would he see the fruit of repentance? And if not, I want to invite you to, to turn to God, turn from your sin and turn to God through faith in Jesus. Right now, call on his name. We're about to sing in just a moment. You call on his name as we sing. Catch somebody that you trust before you leave this place. Talk to them. Grab me, Andy, Tom, Brett, Michael, somebody you trust. And we'll be glad to point you to Christ. And let's start thinking and praying about how we can be on mission even in challenging times. Let's pray and we'll sing together. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. We thank you for the first half of this sermon and how we see how your, your hand is unfolding history of Jew and Gentile and how your mission, your mission is threaded through all of that to get this good news to all peoples. I pray that you would help us see the urgency of turning to you today. 
of calling on your name today and that we would see the urgency of getting the gospel to the least reached peoples on earth. Stir in our hearts in obedience to what you want us to obey. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.